We are a group of friends bound by our appreciation for liberty and good podcasting. Free-minded thinkers from all walks of life, our values come together with one accord to discuss the common culture and news of the day, along with whatever random crap is going on in our lives. Welcome to the Union of the Unknowns. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Union of the Unknowns. I will be your host today. This is Ashley, or Think, Change, Repeat. With us, we have Daniel, Terry, and Kiel. Hello, everyone. Good evening. Okay, so absolutely. Thanks for being here. Um, So what we're going to go over tonight is the Damar Hamlin situation, the collapse heard around the world, if you will. So just briefly, (laughs) on Monday, (laughs) January the 2nd, there was a Monday night football game. I'm just going to recap if you've heard from our news. Quick recap. For our international listeners, we're talking about actual football, not soccer, right? American football, not soccer. Correct. Okay. So uh, Monday night football game happened to be high stakes. It was a playoff game also um, between the Cincinnati Bengals, the Buffalo Bills. And we're close to six minutes in and DeMar Hamlin went in for a tackle and ended up, uh, he did take a blow to the chest and then he fell down, he got right back up, and then immediately collapsed backwards. So DeMar Hamlin is 24 years old, and I believe that he's been playing for the Buffalo Bills for two years at this point. And so immediately there was a ton of speculation about what was happening. So just to get into it, I will say that I was watching the game, and A lot of people have tried to make the hit sound like it was very severe, like it was unusual, but I'm telling you that now I would consider myself to have an untrained eye, but I was watching it and I did not see anything that looked amiss to the hit. But what was significant for me was the fact that you had Troy Aikman and whoever else his partner was for announcing Monday Night Football, and they continued that conversation business as usual. So we have literal experts in football, and they did not notice anything that seemed strange right off the bat for this hit. So if it had been a really bad hit, clue, or at least one thing that I think would clue us into that would have been the announcers having commentary about that. Um, And we'll circle back to that, but I just wanted to kind of get that out there of what happened at that time. So he um, basically, once that happens, the NFL has an emergency plan that was activated and every team is required to have an emergency plan. This is, um, and I said this before, it's according to a CNN article. So I think you should take that with a grain of salt, but this seemed innocuous enough to to say that it's probably accurate. So the plan must be reviewed by the league and the player union officials and approved by outside experts before the season. So this requires the designation of a level one trauma center along with the presence of two certified paramedic crews and advanced life support ambulances. Um, So it appears that DeMar Hamlin was able to receive medical care within 10 seconds 
which is absolutely huge in, in any situation where you're dealing with cardiac arrest. Cardiac arrest was confirmed officially from the team. So there's no speculation. Initially, there was a, a bit of speculation on the announcer's part. Um, they thought that it could be dealing with the concussion issue, but that was quickly cleared up by a couple of things. First of all, they administered CPR on the field, including the AED machine. So that would be indicative of cardiac arrest. And then later that was confirmed by the bills. Um, the other thing that was significant about this situation was you had both teams kind of circled around. They were taking a knee. The players looked very, very upset. Coaches looked very upset. And there seemed to be a knowledge right away that this was a really serious situation. Um, and unusual. Everyone knew it was unusual. People are online. Some people are trying to make it sound like, oh, it's obviously commotio cordis. And we'll get into that in just a minute. But you had the two announcers, Troy Aikman and his partner. Then you had the other desk that they cut to um, between, you know, breaks and things like that. And every one of them said, I have never seen anything like this. So this was not some very obvious commotio cordis um, injury. I, I want to make sure that that's very, very clear. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be looking at it critically, but um, so that's the thing. Then the game was suspended for over an hour or the, it was delayed for over an hour and then it was suspended, which speaks again to the unusual nature of this medical emergency. Um, there was lots of speculation online. Immediately people were going, going at each other um, about what was the cause. And also people were just really, you know, they were really worried and concerned for this guy. The other thing that I want to throw in there is that the Bills team allegedly is 100% vaccinated. I don't have confirmation of that. I know that the NFL overall brags about a 95% vaccination rate. Um, and then I had heard before of potentially Josh Allen and Cole Beasley um, holding out for vaccination. So I, I'm not sure of that situation, but we do know that the NFL has put an immense amount of emphasis on players and coaches getting vaccinated. So then, um, like I said, the, the announcers were totally stunned. This was an unusual situation. They had never seen anything like this. Um, then the other thing that I wanted to go over was sort of the, the post-incident analysis. So we have Steve Kirsch, who is not a doctor, but he is he has been publishing on his Substack a lot, especially about um, everything dealing with COVID, whether it's the, the virus, the vaccines, and sort of his discovery that, of thinking that vaccines are not safe after his entire family had been vaccinated. And he is in close contact with Dr. Peter McCullough. And Dr. McCullough originally did think that it was commotio cordis, but even that same day, he reevaluated and thought that it was probably some type of complication related to the shot, meaning it would not have happened if he had not had the COVID shot. So after that, Steve Kirsch thought that Hamlin may even be brain dead because of the amount of time it, he was receiving CPR for about nine minutes. 
And um, then we also had some other people that were commenting who have been prominent in the COVID space. So Dr. Malone said that Camotia cordis has known predispositions and the with the elite level that these athletes are playing at that those should have and would have likely been caught. The other thing is that we um, we know some things about Camotia cordis is that it's normally in a sport where you have a direct hit, so like a baseball to the chest, so or a hockey puck to an area that is not protected by equipment. And we know that in the NFL, they have a pretty substantial uh, breast and chest plate um, gear that covers that. And then Alex Berenson had posted that myocarditis could be a factor combined with the hit so that that could have been um, possible and that it it is possible that we may be able to tell if we were ever told the truth about what the experts of the hospital found that that it could be that Demar Hamlin was predisposed to this injury due to myocarditis so there could be some evidence of that um, at this point we don't know um, the other thing that I wanted to bring up is since then, since Steve Kirsch's speculation and a lot of other people's speculation that the situation is not good with Damar Hamlin, he at this time is apparently awake, alert, and talking. And I did go on Twitter today and I saw some tweets that came out of um, Damar Hamlin's page. And basically, he was just thanking people for the love that he had received. And um, there were also some pictures and things like that of him with teammates. So it does appear that he is at least speaking with people. So all of those things are, um, are really good signs. And obviously, in all of this, I don't want to lose the fact that this is an individual. This is a human. And um, I don't want to speak about it in a callous way. But I also don't really like it when people are like, oh, you, you shouldn't be allowed to talk about it. No, this was something that's really serious. And um, there's a lot of people that are potentially, you know, who need this information. And um, so that's kind of where I'm at on that. And that's, that's about it for the, the summary. Uh, I got some things to say uh, about this. Um, firstly, this is not an isolated incident when you look in, you know, in the round around the world of sports. There have been an awful lot of uh, sudden collapses of sportsmen in on the field. Something that I can't really remember. I, I used to follow a lot of soccer, uh, rugby, cricket as well. Um, you know, I've watched a lot of sport over the years. And I could count on the fingers of one hand the, the number of times I've seen or heard about a player collapsing on the pitch during a game. Over many years, probably about three or four I can think of. Uh, uh, this year I've seen loads, dozens and dozens. Uh, um, some numbers, people are saying some numbers, it's running more than a thousand. You know, when you take college athletes and, and school athletes into account. So I think we are seeing something unprecedented. And so this is just one example of it, as far as I can see. Uh, I wanted to also read... Um, a bit of the Wikipedia article on Camotio. I'm going to go with the Latin pronunciation, Camotio Cordis. Um, its incidence in the United States is fewer than 20 cases per year, often occurring in boys participating in sports, most commonly, as you say, actually in baseball, 
when the hard ball strikes an unprotected chest. So you need a, a fast moving small object impacting on a specific area of the heart. And it has to occur in a window of 40 milliseconds of the cardiac cycle. So, which is why it doesn't happen very often. So you only get 20 cases a year. It would be extraordinary if this was if this was one of them. And then it also says uh, these cases most occur mostly in boys and young young men, mean age 15. Uh, and that is because the thorax of an adolescent is likely more prone to this injury, injury than a mature adult. So it'd be highly unusual to happen to a, a fully mature, fit and very muscly sportsman who's also got, um, you know, a lot of protection. And, and as you say, the, the impact, um, I think it says in this Wikipedia article, it's normally, I think McCulloch says this actually, it's normally an impact right on the breastbone. The impact to me looked like it was a bit off center compared to that. So we're never gonna know for sure, unless someone does, you know, unless a poor guy dies and someone does an autopsy on him, there's, there's no real way of knowing what, what the cause of this is. All you can do is look at the statistics and around and say there's something highly unusual happening to, to sportsmen this year. There's a, uh, um, an England soccer international, Matt Letizia, who's been speaking up about this and lost his job on Sky News as a summariser because of it. Uh, and he agrees. He agrees. He says, I've never seen, you know, all, he played professional soccer in at the highest level in England for 20 years and he'd never, ever seen it. And he says, I'm seeing it all the time now. Something strange is happening. And the obvious thing that's happened in the last two years, I'm afraid, is the COVID jab. So, you know, and we know it causes myocarditis and pericarditis and, and other health issues. So to me, it's... Those it's chest plates are also supposed to take the force and spread it all, spread it out throughout yeah. your body. It's supposed exactly. to be the exact opposite of putting all the force in one spot. That's why it happens yeah. with a baseball. Baseball is all the energy is directed in one spot when a... A, man, a person hits you, the energy is directed all over the place, wherever he's hitting you, and then the pad redirects it around you. So mm -hmm. it does yeah. seem unlikely to me. But I, I, like I you wonder, said, there's no way we're ever going to really know. Right. You no, know, rugby guys don't hit each other that hard, but they aren't, they don't have chest protection. I wonder if that's, this mm. has ever happened in, in the history of rugby. Do you mean, uh, I don't, I don't mean to and they do hit each other really hard. <laughs> yeah, they yeah they do hit each other hard. I always wonder how they do that without pads. I don't, it looks I don't, just as rough as football. I don't. Well, I I don't. I think rugby is a more elegant sport than than football. I would think just simply because there's there's not all that padding. So I don't think they run at each other at full speed and just get walloped like they do in football. Um, I think as as padding has increased over the decades in the uh, in the NFL, at least, I think the it's been it's been a harsher sport over the years. Like we it gets it gets harder because people want to do it better. And then the there's a new dictate that says we need to put more padding because people are getting hurt. So then there's more padding. So then people feel more comfortable going harder. And then it's just kind of a, a cycle there. But I, I don't think that happens as much in, in rugby, right? I mean, I don't know. I, I've No, you do get you do get some pretty, I mean, they're, they're pretty fearless, some of these guys, and they're okay. huge as well. So uh, um, you do get a lot of head and neck injuries and concussions and things like that from people 
using poor tackling technique, you know, where they, where they will get their head in the wrong place and whack into somebody's yeah. chest. But it's the tackler then that, that, you know, gets injured rather than... I've never, ever seen someone collapsing with a, you know, clutching their chest or, you know... With yeah, a, I've never seen uh, never seen CPR. CPR or AED on a field, I've never seen it before in any support. I've seen it once in soccer and... I've seen it once in soccer, and um, McCullough talks about this. There's a good article on the Defender where he's talking about what's happened. And as you say, Ashley, McCullough, uh, Peter McCullough, by the way, was regarded as one of the leading cardiologists in the world pre-COVID. And because he's not really on board with the COVID narrative and he doesn't like the jabs, um, he's often dismissed as some sort of tinfoil hat-wearing crazy now by the mainstream media, but he is a leading cardiologist and he knows what he's talking about. Now he talks about this thing, um, uh, is it called cardiomyopathy, uh, where you, your heart muscle gets very big. Uh, and I have seen a collapse in football many, many years ago where somebody had that condition that was undiagnosed. But um, McCullough was saying that all professional sportsmen and footballers in particular American footballers get screened for that so that, um, you know, that's not going to be a possibility. So it'd be very hard for someone to have this condition, which can cause you to collapse, you know, with heart failure. Uh, it'd be very un unlikely that that wouldn't be detected in pre-screening they get now. Um, uh, he, he, yeah, he definitely suspects the, the jab. Um, that's yeah, what I need to. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I've I I don't follow sports at all, you know. And I so I mean, apart from hearing somebody talk about a rumor that some some kid in a peewee league or something died on the field and it was some tragic thing, I, I've never seen articles in the news about athletes, top athletes in the the you know whatever pro league wherever they're at, just falling over dead while they're in the middle of a game. I, I've never seen that before. Yeah. So I, there's, there's got to be a happening like crazy in soccer. It's, it's happening like crazy in soccer. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, it's, it's, uh, I think at soccer, you exert yourself a lot more than most sports because you're just running back and forth the whole time. On a, they have a really big for, field. For three hours straight. That's going to take yeah. a toll. Yeah. You know? And I think the number so what, of collapsing athletes as terry was saying before that has happened in the last two years is i think it has been like the same amount in the last two years as like the last 10 or something crazy like that and and i do think it's like 1100 athletes something like that that have collapsed i mean it is significant it's incredible yeah i got some figures on it here, if I can dig it out. Uh, okay. This is a pre-pinned paper done by McCulloch and, and someone else, might be Jessica Rose. Um, uh, they, they, uh, um, let me see. So not generally, there's uh, an average of 29 athletes per year. Um, so they, they did a sort of survey from the International Olympic Committee, looked at uh, international data banks from 1966 to 2004, uh, so, and generally you're getting 29 deaths of athletes per year across all sports, with the highest incidence being in soccer and basketball. Um, now, when they did a study uh, of uh, this last year, there have been, um, where is it now? Uh, I think it was um, 
about a thousand. I think they've come up with. If I if I find the figures, I'll, I'll get back to you on that. But it, it's it's gone up hugely. They've got a they've got a graph here um, where they're showing um, you know things trundling along very normally up till January 2021, and then it starts climbing up to. Uh, I don't know if this is weekly or monthly, you know, hundreds per week, per per week or month, possibly. Uh, and it's still going on. That so, can't be right. Thousands, hundreds. That is way I, too extreme. This I is, mean, this is, that's this including is like university and minor league and stuff. Exactly. Like that. Still, this is but I mean, all sports across the whole world. Even 29 sounds high to me. People that died in the middle of the sport just collapsed like that. That's, that's not all you're... died, but all but collapsed, collapsed okay. with yeah. heart. I think it's heart collapses on, it collapses on this. But it is hard to get the data because, like a couple of weeks ago, I clicked on one about a soccer player that collapsed, and I started reading it, and it was a like a university college, uh, university soccer player from like Romania or something like that. And like, if that would have happened before COVID, I would have never, I would have never heard about a university's student that played soccer class i just would have never got the news you know mm-hmm. it's really hard to get information right yeah. when the medical establishment isn't doing what they're supposed to to re- research and follow up with these kind of treatments it's so hard to get good information but the anecdotal evidence just like kind of adds up after a long time i got it i got it here now in mccullough's preprint paper he, he says that since the introduction of vaccines in 2021 there have been 1,598 cardiac arrests in just the football leagues around the world, of which 1,101 were fatal. Wow. Holy cow. That is crazy. Wait, all right. So re- repeat that statistic. Source. Repeat that again. Yeah. Uh, um, where was it now? I haven't got his data source, but he's saying that, uh, where was it now? 591. Uh, since the introduction of vaccines in 2021, there have been 1,598 cardiac arrests in the football leagues around the world, of which 1,101 were fatal. I think it might be just European football leagues, actually. Jeez. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. It's certainly a lot. It seems like the players would eventually revolt, like, and start speaking up against this. You would think. Like, at this point, they have to be noticing more than anybody. Now what was the? Do you have the st- the the pre uh, vaccine statistic? Not or- quite comparing like with like because the the other statistic was from the International Olympic Committee, which is just looking at Olympic sports. But they oh, were okay. saying about twenty nine per year. Mm. So it's significant. The other thing that I think is important to consider in this is that uh, the the target audience of these professional sports are young men there a lot of them are early 20s now granted not all of them uh, you know some of them are older but we know that even in some countries already they have suspended uh vaccinating people under the age of 50 i believe that's denmark i think they even um in florida to my knowledge is the only state who has had um recommendations but with um the what do we call him terry is he the state attorney general he's the uh what is that guy? surgeon general he's the the equivalent surgeon general that there it is yes yes ladapo ladapo whatever um they made the recommendation for young men to not get the shot because they appear to be disproportionately affected in 
um, regards to myocarditis and the other heart issues. So I also think that it kind of makes sense that these are young men who are being really affected by this. We know that in the general population, that's also who's affected by it. But that's not to say that some older people are not um, being affected. On the same day that this happened with Damar Hamlin, there was another former um, Jacksonville Jaguars player who had passed away. And he had been very outspokenly pro-vaccine and anti-ivermectin and all of this stuff. And then he died that day of heart failure. And it's easy to look at a retired football player and think that they're older. But this guy was 38. Um, and then also the coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Bruce Ahrens, was also diagnosed with myocarditis. So it's not like it's not, you know, in the ether, I would say, for the NFL. But I also believe that, so that the chickens may be coming home to roost more sooner. I don't think that that DeMar Hamlin is the last player that we're going to see be affected by this. And then I also wanted to say, and Terry, you may have more info on this, that um, Dr. McCullough had, uh, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. He said something recently about, oh, he said that the NFL had changed their COVID policy. Did you see that, Terry? No, I didn't know that. All right, let me see if I can find that for us. About, about vaccination or well, I don't know that it was specifically vaccination. I believe that it was more about, it was vague, shockingly enough, but vague that they were like, oh, we've agreed to like end our COVID restrictions. But let me see if I can find that. Gosh, I remember. I think they changed. They used to have different rules for vaccinated and unvaccinated. And I think they ended that. That has been, but this is recent. They did do that, Daniel. Oh, okay. I see. Yes. I remember them having uh, bubbles, like the NBA had a bubble. You couldn't, all the teams had to stay in their same. They all know. went to the same city and then they all had to stay in their hotels and in yeah, the. Yeah, and you couldn't have visitors and. And they still got loads of COVID. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the whole, NBA did that. The whole thing with the sport was just nuts, wasn't it? It was like the crazy restaurant rules because, you know, we had to watch all these people, you know, of subs in soccer would be sitting on the bench with masks on. And yet they're all running around in, you know, have, it's a contact sport, having contact with each other on the field. And as soon as they come off, they have to put the masks on again. It's just it ridiculous. Crazy, crazy, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Oh, I did want to say something um, because this had come up. This is a, just, this is a side topic, but... There has been some debate amongst us about whether or not COVID was considered a, a major cause of myocarditis versus the shot. And so then we had seen the Israeli study that said that there is not a correlation between myocarditis and COVID. And then I was watching a clip between Dr. McCullough and Tucker Carlson and Dr. And that was just this past week. And McCullough said that there can be an association. Well, now, as of seven hours ago, he tweeted that there is more data suggesting that SARS-CoV-2 infection did not increase rates of myocarditis. Right. Um, and that there is, I think, an Italian study that corroborates the, um, the other study from Israel. 
I, I think I'm reading that quickly. So I could be. Yeah. I, I had never heard of myocarditis until the COVID shots came out. And, uh, but apparently it's, it's a thing that's always existed if for, for, you know, if you get a viral infection and the, that can be a result of a viral infection, just because your immune system reacts in a certain way. I don't know the details, but supposedly you can, you can result in having a myocarditis reaction to any kind of viral infection since COVID-19 is a virus. So they say, um, yeah. That can be a result of you having a COVID-19 infection. The, the question is, you know, I've seen articles that say COVID-19 increases your risk of having myocarditis, you know, then downplaying the idea that the, the COVID vaccine causes myocarditis, which it absolutely does. It can. Um, it's a side effect. Um, but uh, I think, you know, in our, our uh, not your mama's news show when you and I were discussing it, Ashley. Um, I think the, the Israeli study that I had read way back when was the BARDA study, which showed there was an increased risk of myocarditis with just the COVID or with COVID-19 infection, not the vaccine. But the problem with that study is they weren't taking into account unvaccinated versus vaccinated people. Mm -hmm. And the yeah. other Israeli study that used the same data set as the BARDA study uh, showed that the, those, that those that were unvaccinated that came into the hospital uh, during the time, uh, I think it was between March 2020 to January 2021, before the vaccines were heavily uh, um, applied, there was the people that had gotten COVID-19 uh, did not have an any uh, significant difference in rates of myocarditis than the people who were in the hospital for any other reason. So that is right. Yeah, I've got some, uh, I've got this Epoch Times article here, which uh, has a really good survey of all this evidence about myocarditis and pericarditis. And is basically that what you're saying there. It's, uh, I'll read this bit out. It should be also be noted that myocarditis events have also been reported in unvaccinated COVID-19 patients in 2020, which would make sense, right? Because we think it's the spike protein doing that. And, you know, the spike protein that's, comes from the COVID-19. That's the infection. common denominator is the spike protein. Yeah. But you get a lot more of it with, with the vaccine, I think, yeah. is the problem. Uh, and studies have shown that the virus can cause heart damage, but it's debatable if the heart injuries patients experience caused by myocarditis or some other reasons. Then they got a study published in April 2022 found that increases in myocarditis and pericarditis are statistically insignificant among unvaccinated individuals after COVID infection. The researchers evaluated around 197,000 unvaccinated patients uh, and there were 9 and 11 cases of myocarditis and pericarditis respectively. And uh, a bit further up, I wanted to read this bit as well. A study by researchers from Kaiser Permanente, which is German, I guess, published in August, August 2022, estimated myocarditis would be 186 cases out of a million after a second dose, dose of vaccine in 12 to 17 year old children. In males, this number was raised to 377 cases out of a million. And the background rate is supposed to be something like prior to the pandemic, 2017 study in Finland found that myocarditis rates were 19.5 per million for children 15 years of age and younger. So it's gone up by uh, more than 10 Several times. Orders of magnitude. Times. Yeah, 
so um, I've read other articles that the headline reads, you know, something like, you know, in the millennial speak, no, myocarditis is not increased by the, va the, the vaccine, yada, yada, yada. You know, but the, the studies that even one from the CDC, the study it, it's sourcing uh, is all of the, the, the data is taken from people who are already vaccinated. And there, there are a bunch of people in the hospital. They're all vaccinated. Those that come in because they had it, that were, that were tested positive for COVID-19 had a higher rate of myocarditis, but they were still vaccinated. So you can't use that data to say that, oh, it's not the vaccine that causes it. It's the infection. Well, maybe, but we can't use your data to determine that, that statement. And we have a clear a study from the Israel showing that no, that's not the case. So I don't know. You, yeah. Buyer beware. A hundred percent. I did want to say really quickly. So um, this is a tweet from Dr. McCullough. He said, what caused them to drop all protocols, assuming shots, despite continued cases? Why are they not coming clean on blood clots, arrhythmias, and other problems in players? Boosters for any, why no questions? And then he had shared uh, a screenshot that said NFL, NFLPA, which I'm assuming is Players Association, agreed to suspend joint COVID-19 protocols. Now, I do not know where this article is from. I can't tell from the screenshot and I can't tell a date. But by his tweet, it is at least indicating that this is a recent um, occurrence that they have suspended the, um, you know, the, the protocols for COVID-19, which I would assume, especially based on what we know about how hard they pushed the COVID narrative and the vaccines, that being vaccinated was part of that. Did any football teams mandate their players to get vaccinated, do we, do we think? I don't know. That's a very good question. I'm not sure if they were mandated, but I do believe that the pressure was extreme, um, even if it wasn't mandated. And I think that it could have been dependent on the player's contract and things like that. That's why some higher up players like Aaron Rodgers could get away with it, whereas somebody like DeMar Hamlin, who has only been in the league for two years and who was coming in as a rookie and likely did not have negotiating power, I I doubt that they would have the ability to negotiate, you know, health decisions like that. I, I want to say well, they, they never mandated the entire the team, individual teams, never mandated it, but there's individual cities that did. That's what happened right. with the basketball player yeah, right. in New York. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kyrie Irving. Yeah, yeah. And the similar thing happened with the New York football teams, the Giants. I don't know if the Jets count because they play in New Jersey, but the Giants had that problem. San Francisco, the San Francisco teams, uh, the Bills. Niners, they had. Yeah, I'm not sure about the Bills because the Bills are up in Buffalo. So, I just, oh no, I don't think they did because they had a huge. What's his their receiver? Uh, what's his Cole. name? Cole Beasley. Cole Beasley. Yeah, he never got vaccinated. He was made a. They made a big deal out of him and stuff like that. They made it really hard to not be vaccinated. Yes. Though, if you, it was really risky and your team looked down on it. So that's yeah. why your comment about Aaron Rodgers being able to get away with it. Yeah, he's like the backbone of their team. They're not going to cut him or bench him or anything like that. But if some startup, because if, uh, they, like, if you got, they had different rules. If you are vaccinated and tested positive for COVID, you could be back in like three days. If you were non-vaccinated and didn't, and got, yeah. uh, 
got test positive for COVID, you were out for like two weeks. Mm -hmm. And so teams would consider that selfish to not get vaccinated because you're risking a lot if you're the starter or even backup. So yeah, the the younger guys, I'm sure were under intense scrutiny to get, get it, you know, because like, who are you? We'll just cut you and get someone else, which Samar Hamlin, he was a drafted player, but he wasn't like a starter or anything like that. He was drafted in like the sixth round last year and he just played special teams last year. And then uh, this year he was getting some reps as outside of just special teams. So he wasn't some, you know, he wasn't some star out there, you know, he's a good player. I'm not trying to, you know, demean him or anything, but he wasn't, you know, one of the star players. So I'd be assuming he got vaccinated just because, but then again, his first season was, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Carry on. Oh, no, that's it. That's all I wanted to point I wanted to make. Oh, well, I was, I was just wondering if if a team were traveling to New York to play the Giants, would they have had to drop their unvaccinated players? I don't think so. Um, the reason that, okay, so this is what I'm using to deduce that. Whenever um, they held UFC events at Madison Square Garden, the attendees had to show proof and like the people that live there. But if you were traveling to the state or, you know, like for example, Joe Rogan was not vaccinated. He had a show at Madison Square Garden. Some of the UFC players, now they didn't all like disclose their status or anything, but they didn't have, my understanding is they were not required to have it as a visitor or as a performer or something like that. Right. I, I heard a story about, during this, you know, the time, something along the lines of the players that were, that whose home city required it, couldn't play in their home games that were unvaccinated, but then they could play when they were traveling because other cities didn't require the vaccination. Yeah, I, I thought yeah, I that's what that Kyrie Irving was doing. Right, yeah. yeah, yeah, that was the Kyrie situation. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there was even one point where he was able to go watch his team at home, but he wasn't allowed to play. Like he was hugging him on the court and stuff. Then he just watched from the stands. That's he, just it that was is a stupid situation. They were just trying to use force and you know uh, try to force them into getting vaccinated, coerce them into getting vaccinated. It was yes. really fucked up. That's what all that is. Yeah, I mean, yeah. ridiculous. It just shows it's not a health thing, doesn't it? Really, to me, not exactly. It's, it's all about that. compliance. Yeah. yeah, they've admitted it does not stop the transmission. Like it does not stop the transmission. That's all. That then every single mandate was completely immoral. Oh, we knew that. We addiction. knew that right from the start because yes. you know Fiona had taken the trouble to read the Pfizer trial documents, and they, you know, that that wasn't one of the the endpoints that were tested. So it was never designed to stop transmission. And there yeah, was so they much... knew, yeah, they knew that from the beginning. Yeah. There was so much wrong with everything that they were saying from the very, very, very beginning of this about just all of it, you know, and that's the other thing that I get so frustrated with people, um, even that are kind of anti-vax or whatever, but like, oh, guys, let's don't speculate. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? We will fucking speculate all that we want to. We have been gaslit for three years and told mm-hmm. that you can't ask questions, that you can't do this, that you can't do that. We've had friends and family discriminate against us because of a medical decision that we made. We have been lied to nonstop. And because as um, some others have called other 
hot button issues. It's a sacred cow, right? Oh, don't question the vaccine. Don't, don't even bring it up. It's improper. No, go fuck yourself. I really have had enough of that. I yeah. really have. It's infuriating. So it's like we have every right to talk about it. It's something that has controlled the narrative on the entire fucking planet for like three years. Yeah. I love that meme that somebody posted recently where um, person says, oh, my coworker just died suddenly, yada, yada, yada. And the, the person she's talking to says, oh, were they, were they vaccinated? And then the response was, oh, that's so inconsiderate. You can't talk. You can't ask me that question. And then the other guy says, bitch, you were, you were fucking asking me to, if I were vaccinated to enter a damn McDonald's, <laughs> what the hell? Exactly. Yeah. It's, oh, sorry. I try, I've been trying not to cuss on the podcast, but this one. Yeah, it's been the biggest gaslighting like, campaign in history. It's yes. insane yeah. telling you, close your eyes. Don't believe what you're not saying. You know, the science we taught you in school, you know, the basic uh, science is no longer applies now it's just trust Fauci Fauci yeah. is the science and it's completely backwards and it's, it sucks I've lost so much trust in the health guy like, I've always been suspicious of the pharmaceutical industries mm-hmm. but I've also been very trusting of doctors most of my life and I right. really really respect them you know when I see a doctor I'm like this guy worked hard to get where he's at he's very smart and I give him respect but this but now it makes me question like how much I'm sure he's a smart guy but does he just believe everything he's told without looking into anything? Because it's blatant. Like, even if I don't understand the science, it's proven that they, it, it's, you know, fact that they lied to us. They said it would do one thing and it did not. And they misled us into getting it. And now I can't trust anything they said. I don't know if I ever have kids. I don't know how I'm going to approach the vaccinations because I'm not anti-vax. I've got dozens of vaccines, you know. Mm-hmm. But when my kid's born, now I'm so suspicious. Of the, I mean, I don't have a kid coming. I'd say if I ever have kids, I don't know how I'd handle the vaccination situation. I want I'll my kid to die of smallpox. I but now I'm so very, suspicious of very all of them. Suspicious, yeah. I would, yeah. Be very, so I would look, in, look into it. There's not really much evidence that they do much good. And there's a lot of evidence they do a lot of harm. Yeah. And Terry has, yeah. we can talk about this um, later, Daniel, or maybe chat about it in the Discord. But Terry has some very good book recommendations and... Um, yeah, for, for me, after heading into this situation, I was already starting to be like, hmm, I don't know, like the vaccines or whatever. But then after this came out, I absolutely was anti-vax. And I I feel that they are, are pure poison. And I think there's enough evidence to show that they, while tolerated in most of the population, what does that mean? We're as sick as we have ever been as people. And I'm yeah. sure that there's a number of factors, you know, we have seed oil, we have, they're spraying us all the time. We have um, glycosate in our food. We have fluoride and who, who knows what else in our water. We have forever chemicals that are permeating the environment. We have people that are like medicated to the hilt. Um, so who knows what is one call or one cause of this, that, and the other thing. But I think Here's something that I would say to people that trust other vaccines is that we know that SADS did not exist until COVID happened and the rollout of the shot and people were dying suddenly. Well, we've had SIDS for a while. So 
that tells me that it's at least worth checking into that the vaccines are actually highly dangerous, but we never knew before because they were never, um, you know, people were not putting it together in, in the way that they're putting them together now. And maybe it's more of a slow grind with a traditional adjuvant like a mercury or um, whatever. What else do they put in there, Terry? Well, you don't know because um, it's secret. The manufacturers won't tell you what's in it and uh, you're not allowed to take a bottle away and analyze it. That's um, that's part of the, the agreement they've got. Well, so they don't release the ingredients and you're not allowed to analyze it, what, see what the ingredients are. In traditional no, vaccines, they, they have the... Traditional vaccines, yeah, yeah, yeah. They have adjuvants, which can be thimerosal, which is mercury-based or yeah. things like... Um, uh, what's the stuff? It's a bit like antifreeze. It's not quite the same as antifreeze. They have all sorts of toxic chemicals. The interesting question is, you know, to ask is why they have to put these things in it. And the traditional explanation is it has to generate an immune response to which an intelligent person would ask the question, well, why can't we just generate an immune response from an inactivated virus or bacteria or something? So where they used to work. do it, right? Well, well, that was going to they, be my next question. It's never really ask, worked very well. That's why, and, and you know, the reason they don't do that because it doesn't work, which calls into question the whole theory, really. Well, you'd um, get a bakery going on earlier on and with um, people like Pasteur, and um, wouldn't you? You'd, you'd take a then. you'd take a pustule from someone who had the pox, and yeah, then yeah. and then slight, you know, cut somebody's arm, and then. Slight, you know, stick all the goop in there, and then yeah. that, that was Edward Jenner. That was the other name I was looking for, and he, he apparently also uh, indulged in quite a bit of fakery and killed a lot of his patients, hmm. which was uh, not talked about much at the time. Yeah. So uh, the whole history of vaccination is full of uh, a lot of fakery and cover-ups and and death, to be yeah. honest, and death and injury. So, which, is, um, which is happening in places where you have like a Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation being predatory in countries that are off the radar that our news will never tell us about, you know, Haiti, over in India, um, in Africa, there's a lot of um, evidence that the vaccines were maiming and harming these children, um, but nobody cared, you know, so these people are yeah, still were among us. They know their vaccines did make them in, uh, unable to have children, infertile. The Gates yeah, they were caught out several putting, different places. They were caught out putting hormones in um, in vaccines to make uh, women infertile. Yep. Yeah, they and, were caught doing it. Yeah, so there's a whole history of this stuff where essentially the, the medical industry was taken over by, you know, Rockefeller medicine. And, and we know that these people are eugenicists. So at the very least, it, it deserves a lot of questioning. And I didn't question the shots my entire life. Like, oh, you need to get the flu shot or you need to get the yeah. um, measles, mumps, rubella or your DTaP or whatever. I was just like, okay. And, um, but now obviously I'm like over my dead body. No, I'll take my chances with tetanus. Thank you. Yeah, there's, uh, to me, there's a there's a huge possibility a lot of these Western diseases uh, come from the vaccination program, to be honest with you. And that was before, right, Terry? That was even before the mRNA. 
Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I was asthmatic as a child. As I, I think there's quite a strong possibility that came from a vaccine. And, and then Fiona and I have talked about the fact that her MS might well have come from a vaccine. Yep. Her first job, she had to get highly vaccinated because she was working with tropical diseases. So, you know, uh, can I can I touch on something else? Uh, I've had a lot of um, websites open ready for this one. Yeah. So uh, there's a thing that... Um, the CDC have just published uh, about American life expectancy, oh, yeah. uh, which is very interesting, and it's um, it's gone down quite significantly. Um, and thanks, that is COVID. Not normally, the case. Sorry, I said thanks, COVID. <laughs> yeah, well, this is post-COVID, <laughs> right? So Americans lost nearly three years of life expectancy between 2020 and 2021. Can you imagine? That's so significant. Yeah. Uh, in 2019, the average lifespan of Americans of all ethnicities was 78.8 years. By the end of 2020, it had dropped to 77. And by the end of 2021, it was 76.4. This is, needs us to say, highly unusual in a developed Western country for life expectancy to drop like that. And um, you can uh, get the CDC. It's called an NCHS data brief. I forget what NCHS stands for, some statistics organization within the CDC. And you can look at the data yourself. So the CDC are, are you know, having to publicize this data. And, and they've also got uh, a nice table here of the age-adjusted death rates, which shows those going up quite a lot between 2020 and 2021 as well. Uh, and they've had to flag them some of these as statistically significant increase from 2020 to 2021. Hmm. And the other thing that I would like to bring up about this is the documentary Died Suddenly. I know that we talked about this and I have heard, and I'm fine with take, looking at it through a critical eye. I heard that someone did say that one of the clots was actually from before the shots were out, whatever, but that there was still a lot of good information in the documentary. So I still think it's worth checking out. Um, sure, do your own research, you know, don't just take like all of our word here, look into it. Yeah. But these are things that are worth considering. And the other thing is my, my biggest thing is why is it not okay to question it? If it is what they say that it is, then it should stand up to any amount of scrutiny and questions should yep. never be suppressed. If you really yep. care about the truth, then questions should always be welcome. Yeah, the the thing that always bothers me is that, you know, maybe maybe what the government tells us is correct, but you know what? We shouldn't, why, why dash any questioning any critical thinking about what the government tells us, they just cast it away out of hand and the media just, you know, doesn't give it any consideration at all. You know, the science is supposed to be a constant fluctuation of evaluation and reevaluation and, and uh, let's, let's just embrace that. Why, why, why just, why just throw it away immediately without any sort of, indulgence I, I don't know what i'm trying to say but the no no well know. i mean it's 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 that was one of the surprising things about this covid business the fact that the narrative was so wrapped up and you weren't allowed to question it at all i mean normally you know at least you'd get at least one part of the media talking about it it's starting to happen a bit now maybe two years on but yeah right at the start it was just as you say do do exactly what the government told you 
and no yeah. questions about policy were allowed. Right. And I will say, too, that um, to my knowledge, the first mainstream person, I think maybe uh, Binkley had talked about this person, Kim Iverson, and there was a couple of other journalists, but they were not getting the platform. So the, the first big one that I saw with a big platform discussing it was Tucker. Um, and interestingly enough, right around the time, and my understanding is that Fox mandated the shot, meaning that Tucker got it, and he had to have an emergency back surgery not long after that happened. And that wasn't very public, but I read a couple of articles about it. Um, so I think, you know, you have to be skeptical. Yeah. It's good. I mean, to me, they, I, I, I've subscribed to a lot of, you know, alternative um email services now but every day i'm i'm getting an email saying some other young athlete has died i got one today in fact about a young basket college basketball player i think it was i don't know actually he might not have died but he collapsed on the court clutching his chest you know in the usual sort of story so yeah, i think that was like a high school kid or younger even i think a high school kid was it yeah so you saw that yeah well. he looked young that's just sad man it's a child you know it's, yeah. it's awful what's happening. I mean, it's, you know, I I honestly think it could be the biggest, well, let's call it one of what it is, the biggest genocide we've, we've ever experienced, you know, in modern times, certainly. I think it was going to end up being more, you know, more people killed than maybe, you know, Second World War, yeah. First World War. Billions of people took it, you know, billions. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy that they it were able take to a big do that. Percentage to be killed by it, um, and you know, like yeah. we were saying earlier on, we'll never really know for sure because it seemingly it's it's causing cancers to flare up as well, or you know, to sort of start from nowhere. Turbo cancer. The pathologist, yeah, the pathologist Ryan Cole's been talking about. He's been seeing it a lot in his patients, and um, you know, conventional MSM are not going to not going to link that to the vaccine. Yeah, we won't. Right. We won't really know, you know, maybe a hundred years from now, people will look back at this time and say, what were those people thinking, you know, but it'll never be within our lifetime. We'll never see the results of yeah. history. So they'll say things like, it's more... oh, go ahead, Daniel. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, I feel like it's more important than ever that we take care of ourselves because we don't really have a medical system we can depend on hundred that we can get answer the right questions. So I've recently quit smoking finally, but you know, we need to be exercising, eating healthy because like stay out of those hospitals as long as you can. Cause we, we don't know how I know most of them are filled with good people trying to do good things. My mom's a nurse. My sister's a nurse too, but I'm not trying to disparage those people, but they were the ones that gave out these shots without questionings too, you know, or most of them, there's a lot of them that questioned, but a lot of them didn't. And even if you, and they still gave them to kids and stuff like that. So we, you have to, kind of depend on yourself and we need to be making sure we're taking care of ourselves so we stay out of there as much as possible and yeah and are able to heal ourselves with natural you know just food and exercise and preventative stuff more you know but they're also continuing with these deadly covid treatments you know in the face of all evidence to the contrary yeah and not using stuff that might actually work so you know uh, they've obviously been super well hypnotized i think you're right most of them have got you know good intentions but it's really hard to see how they're not 
see in the evidence of their own eyes now you know because you know we i've heard i've seen lots of nurses talking about and doctors talking about on the quiet often anonymously saying yeah we are seeing quite a lot of um extra you know deaths and cases and yeah a lot of them my uh sister's boyfriend owns a feed store like feed and tax store and uh he had a nurse come over from the local clinic and came and got ivermectin for the entire clinic like wow. not even a, it was like nine or ten months into the pandemic because it was really hard to get at the time mm -hmm. they were cracking down on it and like the people who provided the ivermectin to the feed stores and stuff like that weren't sending it to them anymore they're telling people to go to vets to get it which ivermectin is something that cow people who own cows and horses use regularly you know yeah. so they're making it difficult to get but he had a lady who came over and got like 20 of them to make sure that each one of her nurses had it and they were all you know they had seen the difference between they treated people with ivermectin at the beginning and then they were stopped made to stop treating them so they uh but they saw the difference between ivermectin and remdesivir yeah. so yeah and a lot yeah, of them are turning but then it's also concerning that so many of them kept their mouths shut you know and you know it's a lot to risk giving up your job and your career and everything like that but on the other hand, you've we're giving this to children, you know, you got to stand the, up. The time, not... the time comes when you've got to just make the right choice, haven't you? If it's, you know, a matter of either killing people or losing your job, you know, I know what I would choose. Yeah. Mm. 100%. Yeah, I, exactly. Yeah, it's, um, it's been a hard, it's, it's hard to see what has transpired, but honestly, I feel like my eyes have been further opened by everything that's happened. So in a way I have to have gratitude for that because I was previously more trusting in the medical establishment, even though I wasn't trusting in government. And there was a lot that I was missing as far as how intimately those two things are tied together, even more so now. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. David Ike, David Ike puts it well. He says, um, "You know, these evil people that normally lurk in the shadows have now walked out into the light for us to see them clearly." So, yeah. So sure. maybe that's something good that's come out of this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah a lot of people gratitude. have woke up. Yeah, a lot of people have woken up, and I, I definitely felt like I was, you know, kind of aware anyway. But this was a whole other level of of knowledge. You know, I wasn't up on the great reset and the world economic forum and all of the nefariousness of the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds and, and all that stuff. And that came about because of what started here. Yeah. It's also, it's shown me the biggest takeaway I've got is their, how good whoever they is, you know, that have gotten at psychological operations and such how much of a stranglehold they have on media and stuff like that. So that was the biggest propaganda campaign in the history of mankind by far. Ever. Bigger yes. than the yeah. babies on bayonets during World War One or anything during yeah. World War Two. This dwarfed it completely. And they got so many people who are smart, intelligent people just to swallow anything they say when they contradict themselves two weeks later and still just and they did it a lot of it by demonizing the other side, making the other side seem so stupid and hateful and stuff like that, that people will believe anything did not be considered one of them. Yeah. And it really is the divide and conquer technique really works. But holy cow, man, they fucking snap their fingers and, you know, half the country just says how high or you know, to just do anything they'll say, you know, without, without even thinking about it, with no little knowledge. You see it in Ukraine, too. People have such passionate opinions on Ukraine, and most of them can't point it out on a map. 
you know most people don't know basic facts about the situation right and they, they just turned it into a good guy versus bad guy we're the good guys they're the bad guys it's just like hitler and everything else so we got to go stop and it's so much more complex than that and and they've but they've gotten these people who never cared about ukraine they don't know anything about it and yet they got them the, the most passionate people their people have volunteered and gone over there and died americans and people from the uk have gone over there and died volunteering fighting for this which is almost a fight that has like almost no they're you know ukraine's not going to win that fight this is not no. going to happen but they've right. easily in just a few weeks were able to convince people to go give their lives for it and it's crazy the stranglehold how good they have gotten at this yeah they know what they're doing yeah yeah Okay, everybody. Well, I think hopefully this has been beneficial to you. Um, a good summary of the events and food for thought. And I want to thank all of our unknowns that we have here for your contributions to this conversation. And I would also like to remind you that you can find us at unionweunknowns.com. That's how to get in touch with us um, from Twitter, email, voicemail, all that good stuff, our Discord channel, and we would like to hear from you, and we would like for you to join us in the conversation over there. So thanks for listening, and I hope that you have a great evening. Have a good one. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Union of the Unknowns. You can find new episodes every week on all your favorite podcasting networks.